Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. We're continuing our series on compassion. This week, we're starting part one of The Batman. The Batman is kind of a mix of a noir detective type film with a little bit of a superhero vibe to it, and it provides a totally new perspective on The Batman. In this film, we get a couple different really key characters that show compassion to each other, and in doing so, they change the total trajectory of their stories, and they change the trajectory of Gotham. This time, the story's a bit different. We drop in on a dark night in Gotham and we see people wearing masks, some crime happening, some some people using some weird droplet drugs things. <laughs> the city is in a bit of a state of mayhem, it seems. While the Batman has been fighting crime, it seems like for a while here, he's not even really going by the moniker yet. He doesn't have the name the Batman. He's instead going by vengeance. And we see him really fighting crime with an iron fist at this point. He's just beating up goons and trying his best to make a difference in the city. He comes across kind of a greater storyline here as initially the mayor gets murdered and we start to uncover that there might be something else going on here. So he comes across uh, Detective Gordon, Jeffrey Wright's character, who brings us kind of a new, fresh perspective on Gordon, who's just a super compassionate guy. He's, He's one of the good cops and through him being one of the good cops, he's able to really make an influence on the city and he's able to cut through some of the crap, even though sometimes he has to pay a price to do so. We also have Selena Kyle, or sometimes called Catwoman. Selena's got a really interesting tale here that's not fully uncovered over the runtime of the movie, but I think as we look at it, we can view as the audience have compassion on Selena and really just want her to to find a happy ending here, want her to become the best version of herself. And so she has a little bit of a push and pull with Carmine Falcone, who is revealed to be her father, one of the villains in this movie. But through that push and pull and the interaction of, of the Batman, we get to see what compassion really looks like. And of course, we also have Alfred because this is a Batman movie. Alfred provides that kind of North Star guiding force for the Batman he's there in some of these critical moments to help him to make the right decision to to choose maybe doing the hard way of doing things overtaking the easy route paul dano's version of the riddler here i love how he plays this criminal mastermind that's kind of pulling together this zodiac killer vibe here but the, the key piece is that he's actually layering his motivation on top of the batman's vengeance character and so that it becomes one of the primary conflicts in this movie is Paul Dano's Riddler is actually acting like he is on the same team as the Batman in Vengeance. And so now we're going to kind of talk about how does the Batman grapple with that? How does he change over the course of this movie to not be seen as vengeance, but to instead come to be seen as hope? All right, welcome back to Wonder Tour episode 52 today, The Batman Part 1. All right, we've got a special guest again this week, and he is one of our previous guests. We had him on for the Dune episode. Brian is back. I'm going to let Brian reintroduce himself here before we jump in, and I'll have Drew kind of launch us in after Brian. 
Hey guys, happy to be back. Uh, always a pleasure hanging out with you guys and talking uh, leadership and storytelling in any context you choose. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Wow, thanks for coming back, Brian. It is truly a pleasure. We love to do this. This is such a fun experience and it really drives, for me, my daily life, going through these stories and then trying to go back and actually live out everything that we talk about here. And so just being able to do that with you and with Derek, it's it's honestly a dream come true to get to do it. So now to get to talk about the Batman here, I know that I was the driver behind talking about this film. There is a little bit of a push-pull sometimes of what should we talk about in, in each series. I was big on the Batman. So I'll say the reason I liked it is because the the highs, the peaks of this film were really, really high for me. Whereas I, I thought the peaks almost touched some of the Nolan trilogy levels where I was seeing certain scenes and the cinematography and stuff. And I was like, just absolutely blown away by it. Now, of course, the lows, there are some lows, some of the some of the writing, some of the dialogues. <laughs> Just, again, not individual characters, honestly, are really good. But sometimes in certain scenes, I'm very confused as to why that scene made the final cut. So I'll pass it over. Brian, what did you think about this movie? I, I quite enjoyed it. The, I thought it was, as you've said, it was a type of a Batman story we haven't seen before. The the character growth arc and where we see him in his career as the Caped Crusader is really a, is a, is a neat angle on it. And the fact that it was, from a superhero standpoint, kind of dialed down. He was much more of just a regular guy, even more so than Bruce Wayne usually is, where he doesn't really have any special superpowers, of course, but even his his gadget level was pretty toned down. It was a very pragmatic story, and he was facing very human challenges and fighting through them in a way that was much less glossy than we often see in superhero movies. And I thought that made it very accessible, where the character arc and the lessons learned were much more applicable to everyday life than than they often can be in this kind of movie. Mm, yeah, he's a little bit different than like the Christian Bale Batman or something like that, where you're like, I love this guy as a hero and as an icon, but I don't imagine myself being the Christian Bale Batman. Whereas here you're like, man, in some of those moments you just feel for Robert Pattinson. You just want to be like, oh, like that's such yeah. a tough spot to be put in. <laughs> Well, and it's not, and it's it's not the Justice League Batman where he's fighting tremendous world-altering monsters, right? Like he's a he's a guy on a motorcycle riding around the city trying to figure out how to help. Yeah, and his interpersonal relationships are really are really key to him, right? His relationship with Selina, as much as it kind of like comes on pretty fast because this is a three-hour movie only, I think we can kind of get into some of the compassion discussion here as we talk about maybe his relationships with the other characters. Kind of interesting, though, right? How terse and frustrated he is most of the time. <laughs> and seemed to be that there is a lighting shortage in Hollywood at the moment. I don't know if this is a supply chain issue or what, but <laughs> they're missing a few light bulbs here and there, or they are flickering and they really should be switched out for LEDs. That's kind of what I'm thinking. That's been a, uh, a longtime pet peeve of mine for uh, crime movies is that they're they're always walking to the crime scene and they're walking around in the dark with the flashlights. It's like, does nobody ever turn on a light switch in these things? <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly right. I could think of that one scene you're you're probably thinking about with there's a cop and Batman's kind of checking out Riddler's place. And that is what's happening, right? He's walking around literally in the dark. And so You've got kind of this paradoxical thing that Batman does in the movie where he is he is out there, but he's also behind the scenes 
and he is constantly being pulled back and forth. And that's quite different, whereas you typically would see Batman pretty much play a behind the scenes role most of the time. And here's my secret letter. Here's my photographs I printed at Kinko's. Here's my evidence, whatever it may be, right? And he's feeding this in the background, whereas this Batman is out there, as Drew said, T-shirt and jeans, out there on the front line, walking around, letting everybody study his chin and figure out who he is, (laughs) right? And there's facial recognition technology. Let's not be naive here, right? I'm sure there's chin recognition technology as well in this version of Gotham City, potentially. And they're like, we all know whose chin that is. And he's like, there's no, no, that's not me. I was in the Bahamas last week or whatever. That's kind of what struck me about this Batman. Well, that's a good uh, that's a good segue to your to your what if moment, right? Like, is the, because that inside outside duality is it is a little bit unusual for for this movie for this or for this Batman story typically. Yeah. So, what if the Batman didn't have Gordon on the inside? So we kind of talked about how Gordon plays this really crucial role, being the good pure cop essentially here, and how that role changes the trajectory of the story because there are a couple moments where and again unfortunately there's just so much batman media that we've seen these type of moments before already where you have the cops turning on gordon because he's the good cop and they're all crooked and stuff like that and and falcone's paying them off and yeah so we do we've seen it before but i still thought this moment was actually really really good where there there is the confrontation between the batman and between the cops and gordon's playing this like elastic role in between trying to navigate the situation towards what the people need, even though the two sides are not really understanding each other or wanting to negotiate. Yeah, and I know that we'll talk about a lot of different angles of this movie as we go through. But from a leadership lesson standpoint, that was one of the things that struck me was this. If you're the you know, if, if you're an outside crusader trying to make a change in a situation, having that one person on the inside who's willing to trust you and willing to give you a little bit of insight or willing to give you a little bit of leverage to possibly make something better is incredibly powerful. And so for me, the this what if of like, yeah, what if what if Batman doesn't have Gordon, then he's just stuck without access to a lot of the, the the knowledge and insights that he would need to figure out what's really happening and where you can best exert pressure, where you might be able to make a difference. Seems like he'd have to show up on the crime scene and actually maybe knock some cops out so he could get access to the evidence, right? If they're all looking at him as a threat and Gordon's the only one disarming them, then he's got to be like, well, Martinez, I'm going to punch you out right now. No hard feelings. Right. But that's that's not really sustainable. Right. Like that's not that's not a a plan that leads you to being more effective. That's right. I mean, he's not really going to make a lot of progress that way. You're right. And the other thing is, is he's not going to learn about these things as they're happening. I mean, that's the thing, too, is that a lot of times and you find it interesting. He doesn't have a CB down in his bat cave. He has the TV on. Do you know how long it takes for somebody to get something on TV? That takes forever. I mean, the thing has to happen. And then somebody actually has to call the TV crew out there. I mean, it's already happened. Honestly, if he would have had Twitter up, that probably would have been a smarter move. <laughs> right. And so I think that's the thing is it, it totally doesn't work. If Gordon's not there, he doesn't have his information stream. And I think that's really important. If you're looking to have some change, you got to have some kind of neutral ground to work from. You have to have a neutral meeting place. And if he doesn't have that, it does kind of fall apart, doesn't it? 
And as uh, I think Drew said earlier, right, that where we see him in this movie is quite early in his career. And he's actually not a very skilled crusader yet. Right. Like he's got this idea that he has a mission, that he's got some problem in the world that he's trying to solve. But he hasn't really quite figured out how he fits into this world and how he makes it better. And and the and having a a relationship with the police where they trust him and having a stream of information to act on are, are two of the various things that he hasn't sorted out yet. That's a good point. He's lacking a lot of models that you need in order to make a difference. So he wants to have an impact. And haven't we all probably been in his situation before where you want to make an impact? I know I have. I was definitely there at a point in my life. And, I, you know, I find myself there in micro moments uh, as well. But there was like a total point that I was there in my life where I was trying to make an impact. But I was and again, I wasn't doing it with a, my fists like vengeance does necessarily. But it was a similar effect where I since I didn't have the right models and I was lacking a model for compassion and a model for integrity to throw back to the last series and things like that. It was challenging to be able to get net positive results because it while you might get positive results for an instance, you then get negative results in more of a mid to long term viewpoint or like you get negative secondary effects or tertiary effects. And so without that model for compassion, and this is where I want to I want to drive us towards the compassion angle, he's unable to really actually impact people. And what is the point? You know, oh, I'm going to save Gotham so that we can still have this sweet, sweet, like gothic Wayne Manor, which I loved Wayne Manor, by the way. It was so it was so unexpected to get like this weird, like, I don't even know what to call this thing. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not an architecture guy. Somebody could tell me. How about a gothic about castle? How about a gothic <laughs> castle, Drew? <laughs> yeah, the little arrested <laughs> development <laughs> call back there. Do you love it? at the gothic castle but uh no yeah so he has this uh oh what are you saving gothic for if you're just saving it for the architecture just so people can look at it no you're saving it for the people and he doesn't actually have a model for helping people currently his model for helping people leaves leaves the people scared well and that's yeah that's that's a it's a very common failure mode right like i definitely did the same thing like when you first decide you're going to try to make things better your your instinct is not about the people at all your instinct is like i'm going to go find all the problems and fix them i'm going to go find all the people that are screwing up and punish them right like and that's a it's a very easy place to start because those are easy things to identify um but what we see happening in this movie is that that's not very effective right he our for his first uh his first moment where we get to see him doing the batman thing like he walks into this walks into this subway situation where these bunch of guys in scary masks are beating up a random civilian and he does the batman thing they ask him who he is and as the audience we're expecting one thing and what we get is unvengeance which is <laughs> from a filmmaking standpoint it's really well done right you kind of shocks you into like wait this isn't quite who i was expecting this character to be and then he's very skillfully violent and beats up all these guys and scares them away but the the person that he saves isn't like oh thank you so much he's like please don't hurt me and he runs away too like he's not having an inspirational effect he's having a oh great now there's a worse vigilante out there like now there's a more violent person in the room with me this isn't better and so that like that escalation of violence doesn't necessarily send the message that things will be better in the future because I punished you for the thing that you did in the past. I think it's funny, too, that he could have been like, I'm vengeance with limits. I won't kill anybody <laughs> because that's that's still Batman. Batman doesn't kill anybody. I get a lot from Drew from that. Very Every once in a while, he'll, he'll talk about that just because we may be just talking about Batman in general, as we do with random superhero conversations. But I think that's really important to bring in here is that even the fact that he felt the whole vengeance angle, he still did have that limit built in, although 
he he got to a certain point in the movie. We'll talk about that later, but he still enforced that limit no matter what. And I thought that was really cool. So then there's a window, though, of conversion that he works through. And, and we'll obviously get around to that once we've talked more about compassion. I just want to talk yeah. about where the compassion comes from here, because it doesn't it's not natural for him to have compassion. It's unnatural. In fact, it's like you said, Brian, like the natural inclination is to find the problem and solve it as fast as possible, because that will reduce the pain in the world, essentially, or you think it might. Right. And so that's the straightforward way to do it. But what I'm posturing for here is that there's a subversion of the expectation in these scenarios that he has to learn to lean into. And he doesn't learn it through brute forcing his way through a number of different scenarios over and over and over and iterating until he can do it slightly better. He does it really from learning from some of the other characters. He recognizes that the using my fist as a means of influence can only accomplish certain goals. It can't accomplish all of the things I'm trying to do. It can really just like progress forward certain story arcs sometimes, right? Maybe I need to beat up Falcone, right? So I can get information or maybe I need to threaten the penguins so that I can, you know, so that he can reveal his his source or something like that. But I, I want to pull back to our definition of compassion that we started to talk about. And, and we're still working on our working definition of compassion. But the simplest thing that we've come to thus far is like compassion is about sitting next to somebody on the curb when they've got their head down and just being there, not because you're going to you know, save them, not because they could do something for you, but because in your wisdom, it seems like you can impact their future. You can do something and, and, and it's a maybe a low probability a lot of the time, but there's a value in making those moves and in extending yourself in a way that from if you're just talking from a you know survival of the fittest standpoint, it makes zero sense that you should do such a thing because it is not going to help you in the future. Usually They're, you're not expecting this person to give you a, a, a payment in the future of any kind, whether it's physical or, or emotional or whatever you're doing it because you care about them, you care about the future more than you care about your time, more than you care about the other things that you could be doing, watching Netflix, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I love that you brought in the future angle, right? If, if compassion is inherently not just about relieving suffering in this exact moment, but is, it about, is about the growth mindset of, I believe this person can have a better future and I can influence that trajectory with this moment. That's both thinking forward and it's very personal. Whereas where we see Bruce starting this movie is he's thinking very big picture. I have compassion for all of Gotham. And so it's not very personal and it's very backward looking. Like vengeance by definition is fixing a problem that happened in the past or balancing the scales for something bad that happened in the past. And that doesn't ever get to a better future, right? That just gets to, I'm living in a world that's got more and more violence in it because I'm inflicting part of it. Ooh. So that, so that's, you know, that's where that's the, that's the, 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 classical definition of karma, right, is not that it's a cosmic vending machine that you put one thing in and you get a different thing out, is that all the energy you put into your immediate environment is what's in your immediate environment. And if what you're putting in is violence and vengeance, then that's the world you're going to live in. And Bruce hasn't figured that equation out yet when we see him at the beginning of this movie. He hasn't figured out how to sit on the curb and invest in somebody's future. He's just looking for the bad people and trying to punish them. 
I would say this too, is that there's an inherent danger in being very introspective and aiming for compassion. When you're as self-absorbed as the Batman is, the way he starts out, he doesn't actually verbalize many things, right? Many times they are deity exclamations. So there's many times when that happens and that is supposed to be some kind of a mic drop of sorts, like, mm. oh, my wheels are really turning right now, and I've just got to say this word, and I'm going to drop it. There's a certain danger about that, because I think this is what's driving the whole vengeance thing from the beginning, which is he's so inwardly focused about the impact he wants to make that he outwardly expresses it as vengeance because he truly doesn't understand the outside world. And anybody who's introspective early in their life can really relate to that. I know I certainly can. Not that I was vengeance, like Drew said, right? It didn't go around punching anybody, but with our words, right? And our passion can be uncontrolled fire, right? To change things, it can end up being a bit of that vengeance flavor to your guys' points. And so the introspection here, I think, is the the issue with the way that he expresses and reason why he expresses vengeance early on is he really doesn't understand himself. He may be overstating his own capability to create change, right? Thinking he can do it all by himself instead of bringing people into it. And I think that's where compassion starts is where you can see that there's some kind of a, a reaction or effect. This is one of the things he says, I want to have an effect. It yeah, finally gets so, to that point. So putting together what you guys are saying, right? Compassion is about being there in that moment. Compassion is about not what you want out of the situation, but understanding, seeing things from somebody else's point of view. And compassion is about the future and not the past. Those are all required elements. And he's 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 clearly trying to be a hero. Like when we meet him, he's like, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to endure personal pain and suffering. Instead of sitting here in my tower with all my money, I'm going to like go down to the streets and try to make something better. Um, he's taken it on his shoulders because he's Bruce Wayne and because his father was, had tried to start this thing. And because of this, you know, this, all of this situation he's in, like he is intending to be heroic. Like his, his high level intention is very pure, but the way he's approaching it, he's not understanding what kind of effect he's actually going to have. And that's what we see. I'm sure we'll talk about that in part two, but that's what we see the big inflection points in the movie are with him figuring out what effect he's really having and where uh, and what he might have to change. It's the compounding effect of compassion, right? He's trying to make an impact, but he's trying to make it all by himself, right? He's letting Alfred have a small role and he's letting Gordon have a small role and stuff like that. But he's trying to carry all of this himself. He's trying to push forward this change all by himself. And I'm going to change society. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change, beat the system. Guess what? Newsflash, we can't. We as individuals cannot. <laughs> Every once in a while, somebody will come up who will be, who will be able to lead a movement who can make a large change. But even then, by themselves, they are nothing. They can't do it. It's the only way that this happens. And this is exactly to your point, Derek, what I've learned. And by no means am I an expert at, at influence and compassion. But what I have learned is that if we're angling to change people for the better, we're angling to help them to find themselves, angling to help them to be the best version that they can be for them to just give love out into the environment around them so that they can impact other people. We have to start the compounding effect of compassion. And that's where it's compassion 
often subverts expectations because the the obvious thing is to just punch somebody and knock them out and now the bad guy's gone but what did that do right how that how that doesn't impact somebody else necessarily right it can have sure maybe you, you can avoid a future crime blah 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 and you can save somebody there but really the only way that we create the type of world that we want to live in is by subverting expectations and when i say subvert some people can think we're going under expectations but i want to think about it as yeah you're going under but you're flipping like a spatula you're sliding underneath of something and you're flipping it over so now you're on top the bottom is now on top which is <laughs> i love that it, <laughs> it's a it's a weird technique, but it's the only technique that I've found that works to create transformative change. You have to have a spatula flip type of an effect, something somebody is not expecting. You know, I, I can, again, bring up, I always bring up working with homeless people, but somebody sit, literally, how many times have I sat on a curb with somebody? That's where we came up with the analogy. How many times? And you're sitting with somebody who can offer nothing to you, who every time they've ever been in and out of jail, in and out of, you know, conflicts, they've always been left hurting and they've always been left with broken relationships. And yet when you, when you sit there and we, and instead of offering judgment and instead of offering, you know, just, okay, well, good luck to you just words basically you just offer yourself you just say i know you've screwed everything up i know you don't want to be here i'm just gonna sit with you why because i believe that you still have a future that's that can set off a chain reaction and who are the most influential people that you almost you know by and large the most influential impactful people you've ever come across are people who have had transformative life changes where they've the spatula flip happened to them <laughs> right that's why they're able to tell their story and have the motivation to change thousands of lives because one person changed their life and they did it not by beating them over the head with a book or with you know with knowledge, but by being there and doing something, taking some action that they didn't expect. I think that's why this this Batman, this version is the the best one to model this, which is the fact that he's out there in the daylight and he's out there in the night. And how well is it modeling the spatula metaphor that you just talked about? I think it models it very well. He really is subverting expectations. The expectations that we had for Batman is that Batman only operated in the night in the cover of darkness is very unknown, only known to a few people with a gravelly voice. He shows up. I think he met the expectation of the gravelly voice in this one, so I'll go ahead and give him that. Terse, monotone, a little bit down, but he's out there doing the right things in the daylight. And I think that is really where you're talking about here, is that you're, you're, you kind of have this surprise effect on the world, and that truly is a... That's what we're looking for personally here as leaders. We're looking to have that surprise effect on the world, which is, you know, that's the surprise subverting expectations that you're talking about, which is not a nefarious thing. It's actually a really good thing, which is I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. You think I'm going to retaliate. You think I'm going to push you in anger or whatever, but I'm not. I'm going to have patience. I'm going to persevere here. And we'll talk more about that in the next episode. But I, what else do we want to do in this episode as far as kind of closing out the, the, the capsule of thought? Brian, jump in here, man. Well, because we're not to the point yet where where Bruce himself has has had that flip, right? He hasn't he hasn't had his his crystallization moment where he's realized it yet. But what we can see is that there are a couple of characters in this movie that are that are already doing that, right? You know, Jim Gordon is like, I'm going to invite this vigilante into my crime scene because everything's so messed up that I'm going to have to try something radical to change it, and this is my idea of something radical. And then we haven't really talked much about Alfred, right? But his role in this movie is also the 
that he's really the only like explicitly compassionate character in the movie, right? You know, he walks downstairs and Bruce is standing in the standing in the back cave. And he's taking the hood off and he's still got his eyes all blacked out and he just looks like absolute garbage. He looks like a zombie. And you know, and Bruce is kind of gently pushing him in various directions but he's clearly just concerned for him he's just like are you okay how can i help are you sure this is a good idea like he's very he's a very warm and compassionate figure and he's literally the only one of those people in bruce's life almost the only one in all of gotham that we see and so that's that importance of sometimes you aren't going to be the batman sometimes you're alfred sometimes your job is to just be the warm and compassionate person that gives you know that helps somebody figure out how to take the next step or lets them decompress when they come back from a really hard day and fighting crime yeah it's the chain effect of compassion somebody has to start the chain and really somebody has to pass on the chain and so it again it has a compounding effect so the more times the more we've talked about this before on the tour but the more opportunities you can create for that subverting effect to potentially happen you know obviously that's going to increase the overall yield and that's kind of what we're after here it's it's we're not after somebody giving us you know we're not after getting money or power or anything else back we're at we're really after somebody's life being impacted so that they they might impact somebody else's life and impact somebody else's life. And you know what? We're probably never going to see any of it. And that's totally OK. <laughs> but the only way the whole organization, the whole society gets to better is if you get as many people as possible pulling on that rope, right? As many people as possible believing in hope and treating each other with compassion. And so that's an effect that you can absolutely aspire to that will that will bear fruit. Yeah, I think this is a great stump for compassion here. And I think that's the key is that on the surface, compassion may seem like intense sacrifice for no reason. And it really does change you. And we're going to talk about that in the second half with the Batman part two. So I'm going to just kind of close this out there. And next week, we're going to be talking really how do we get to casting hope out in the world with our compassion? And also, how does compassion change us? Because it does. It definitely does. So we'll leave it right there. And remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time.